Yeah, I appreciate you guys jumping in. No problem. Uh, should be a fun little sesh. Uh, this is my first Spaces, so uh, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. No, that's a lie. I listened <laughs> to one Spaces before doing this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Andy, have you adopted this uh, uh, tech yet, the Twitter Spaces? Have you done it? I've done it maybe a couple of times. Um, you know, Clubhouse was running rampant in my Twitter feeds for a while there. And then Twitter, oh, yeah. it seems like Twitter just completely kneecapped that. And so here we are. Uh, I, like I forgot it. about Clubhouse's Clubhouse. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, I like it. This is the deal. Twitter's got it. I'm not sure how I feel about not having visuals, though. You know, I'm a very visual guy. I'm not a big podcast person. I mean, uh, chart people this is yeah not, uh, i don't know i guess we'll figure out how it works i know for, for me especially man you know i'm a charm someone who shows charts and loves charts and it, you it, it is a little tricky <laughs> gareth i don't know where you've uh, where you were uh uh the last couple of years because i just discovered your twitter you know in this past seven months and i, I really like your stuff um, oh thank you uh, what um where what's your background uh, exactly i mean i know some of it when we when we booked you and we were uh, looking at your trades and, and your history uh, of um, commenting on markets, um, you know, uh, checked every box that I look for in a guess. But what did you do prior to running the service that you do now? Oh, man, that takes me back. So uh, we launched in the money stocks in uh, 2007. So it's been, you know, 15 years now that we've been doing it. And, um, you know, before that, I, I briefly, right out of college, I worked for MetLife in like the wealth management area. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. I was low man on the totem pole. They said, go make cold calls. And that was my job. Um, and then I quit. I quit after a year, and I, I went out and I had ten thousand bucks, and I tried to learn how to trade on my own, and that was the start. Nice, nice, awesome, very cool. Uh, yeah, I've uh, really enjoyed your stuff. Uh, your your Bitcoin stuff uh, caught my eye. That's kind of like my litmus test, you know, in the trading world. Is you know, do they look at at lines on charts and re respect them? And um, you know, yeah. I feel like uh, crypto is a place where it's just and markets generally the last couple of years, but for me. Uh, uh, crypto in particular is a place where sometimes you find people that are just so committed to their uh, beliefs or, and it kind of gets in there of just trying to analyze what's going on. You're 100% right. And, and I mean, we know Twitter is filled with that so much. Right. Yeah. It's amazing the, the hate that like, uh, you know, you'll get from being bearish on a chart or people, you always hate this thing. It's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, uh, I'm just yeah. looking at the lines. Um, nope. uh, Andy, what is your affiliation with crypto right now? Are you a crypto uh, uh sympathizer believer i mean because uh, you like to follow all the political stuff and uh, isn't like this like the best three months for the case of having like a censorship free asset <laughs> yeah you know i think it is i mean they're that you know when your neighbor to the north what you used to think of as kind of the 51st state um you know is seizing bank accounts <laughs> And that I don't know about that label right now. <laughs> I'm pretty protective of my of my whole number fifty. Markets like whole numbers. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know, it's it 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 does bring about a use case that um, you know a lot of us in the United States really hadn't thought of, um, but globally, I think people have been thinking of and dealing with for a really long time. Uh, and that is, you know, they're they're using currencies, they're using banking systems that aren't reliable. And, um, you know, it, it, we're very far from cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin being uh, re a reliable replacement, but um, the technology is there. The decentralization is there. Mm. Um, so I'm just short of a cult member. I mean, I'm buying, uh, <laughs> you know, every, every, every opportunity. You're totally into the, into the, the notion of, of something serving its purpose, which um, it's like crazy if you're not at this point, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, I think, um, when you thing, say you use the phrase there though that, that Bitcoin um, is uh, uh, use the phrase there though that is a big caveat, which is whether or not it's actually going to serve. Like, is it useful in doing that? Because right now it's just trading like a risk asset. Yeah, it is. But I think you know you can absolutely make the case that Bitcoin is fantastic for uh, you know large transactions uh, that currently take two three days to clear. Uh, Bitcoin can get that done. You know, I, I think that just in the United States, we're a little bit spoiled when it comes to uh, understanding how banking and currencies uh, work yeah, around sure. the world. And Bitcoin solves a lot of those problems globally. So, um, you know, why not why not be involved or at least understand it, I think, is the, yeah. the, the main point I would have to people. Well, we'll see, yeah, I mean, it seems like the, the case for what's happening uh, with uh, government, uh, you know, monitoring bank accounts of people who are doing protests, obviously, seems to fit into the fundamental case. Um, and then, uh, of course, also just the notion that 
the Ukraine situation, I mean, Russia is uh, primarily a cyber warfare uh, military these days. We'll see what happens, you know, physically. Um, I've kind of always thrown this uh, this past couple of weeks, at least talking about this geopolitical thing. Um, I, I've generally been of the view that it is hugely secondary to Fed and inflation in the market, but I always caveat it with the fact that I have very important people to me in Ukraine. My, my girlfriend, her family is uh, uh, in Ukraine, far from uh, a good distance from what's happening right now. But what's interesting is they, <laughs> her brother is a very successful local smart businessman and he doesn't do anything in crypto and he basically um you know in this area that the whole world is watching is uh, one of these places that could use this thing ultimately um i think it's being uh, clouded by the fact that it's just moving with the market right now and that's kind of where the charts come in you know gareth because we've been talking about this technically i mean first of all it's just natural that we're talking bitcoin i think it's the most interesting asset but i've always thought that because it's sort of like a pure gauge of, of risk-taking sentiment. Do you see that yeah. still working in the market, Garrett? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you're 100% right. I mean, right now, Bitcoin is classified as the highest risk asset, right? And I think people have to remember that anytime an asset has a drawdown of 80% in every bear market, and granted, there's only been a few, right? But but that's mm -hmm. putting it even ahead of high high tech, you know, high tech like Tesla and these other stocks. So it's gonna be treated as such until it matures into something more, you know, that that's more widely held and has more stability to it. But but like I say, I mean, yes, I think Bitcoin's ultimately going lower, but the long-term bull case is, is absolutely there you know so i think i think you just have mm. to for me i'm a chartist right i'm i'm, I'm gonna just go with what the chart said I, I still remember the hate i got when when we were trading at sixty-five thousand in october and november and the charts were just telling me it was classic distribution i mean you didn't get a confirmation move above those april highs and then we saw the sell-off come in and, and the answer is why didn't you confirm with all the bullish sentiment i mean i was at a summit in dubai at the time for blockchain and there was just i mean unbelievable bullishness including the fact that the futures etf right. launched and why wasn't Bitcoin breaking out and holding? And the answer is, well, big money was selling into it. You know, the charts is it were coincidence you. that uh, every time, why is it every time there's a big market structure event? Or rather, why do the big tops in BTC align with major market structure events? It's the second or third time this has happened. The first one was the uh, launch of uh, futures uh, in here in Chicago on the exchanges back in 2018, where we were in that crazy, or 17, we were in that crazy run up. And then the futures launch timed right with that. Yeah. And then this time around, we had highs at both the Coinbase IPO and then again with the future, I mean, the, with the ETF. Can that be a coincidence that um, this thing, you know, well, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, it can't be, can it? No, I was just going to say. I, I was going to say, I mean, there's there's two cases you can take it. Number one is that leading into these things, you have everyone talking, and then that gets amplified by social media and the bullishness on social media. So then it encourages even more buyers. So you have that side. And then you have the conspiracy side, which I do think there's there's some sort of, of factor there where when the futures launch, I mean, no, no one wants to launch a product. No one wants to have Coinbase IPO when Bitcoin's crashing or coming down, right? You always want to kind of kickstart that frenzy and get people pumped up. And we, we've seen this with lots of other things historically, even in the the stock market where you know going into something big a big launch you'll see these stocks start to make a move sure. and then it's kind of the short-term top so the question is did you have you know the futures or the etf people buying a little bit kind of kickstarting and maybe even you know do they have bots on the internet that we're talking it up and again honestly i don't know for sure but it certainly is suspect yeah. so this is um i, I wrote about this because i figured this was going to happen around the etf uh, just because we had seen it with Coinbase, we saw it with the futures. And I think it actually gets to something really important for Bitcoin, which comes back into the kind of uh, use case of censorship free that Andy speaks to as being very compelling, which again, I think it is. The question is whether or not this will be the thing that does that, because the narratives for Bitcoin are kind of coming apart at the seams as far as it being an inflation hedge. Like gold is doing great right now. It's the only chart trying to break out. Bitcoin is on the verge of breaking down. So really the narrative that needs to hold for Bitcoin to have value is its true censorship-free technological qualities of censorship. And, and that's where, I, I mean, Andy, should it be worrisome with like every time there's a big uh, futures launch or an ETF? I mean, if you are a long-term Silicon Valley like whale, my view is what better time to dump? If you have been looking for a time to sell BTC, at what better moment was it with the ETF launch, which is like the consummate next guy? If this thing's been about selling it to the next guy and an ETF makes it available to everyone, without any legal, anything for a financial advisor, you click a button, you've got exposure. I mean, does it worry that that's, that was a selling opportunity? Because how is this thing freedom, Andy, if it's a bunch of Silicon Valley whales ready to just dump? 
Well, because, you know, when they, when they dump, someone else buys and it gets democratized even further. I think that there is a major, major problem with Bitcoin is that, you know, there are um, very few people own a, a massive majority of it. And um, that will continue to weigh on it because, you know, these people, a lot of them have, you know, upwards 80 or 90 percent of their uh, wealth in Bitcoin. They have to diversify at some point and into these events is a very clear an easy way to do. And so those speed bumps will be there no matter what. It's always the case um, when you're talking about uh, distribution mm-hmm. of a of a pretty widely held asset. But I think that ultimately, you know, just like we talked with tech stocks, we'll talk later, Bitcoin, all of these things, ultimately the value of the underlying asset is determined by the usage that it gets, sure. the, the consumers on the ground and how much they use it. And there's lots of technical hurdles in the way, and that's what happens when something goes from $100 or $1 to $65,000. There's going to be a, a lot of opportunities to sell, a lot of opportunities uh, to get out. But the, the real question is, was $65,000 the all-time top? Is $500,000 the all-time hop? Right. Top? Uh, you know, we don't know. So and, let me ask it to um, you this way, Andy. What if, it, just hypothetically, because nothing's going to change to Bitcoin's uh, architecture, I mean, its functionality will worsen the less people engage with it and the lower price goes and the fewer miners they are, et cetera. So there is kind of like that uh, risk of, of, of a uh, uh, you know, real tail risk type of uh, event where, where Bitcoin's utility drops. But generally, you know, this could be something that uh, plateaus at a certain price at some point and people still use it for the censorship free attributes and the attributes that uh, that we're talking about but my question to you andy is do you how do you think about price when you think about it from a more philosophical standpoint like does that distribution to the uh, newcomer owner of this crypto asset from the silicon valley whale that transfer the ownership does it function if price goes down with it or does price have to go up with it for that transfer of utility to hold no i i think that in some ways price has to go up with it but i you know i think you put yourself into the mindset of the large whale seller and you know how how excited is that person to sell at 37,000 versus 67,000 with a coinbase ipo and an etf launching uh you know it's a totally different situation um there's no rush to get out and so i think um you know you know i think it's more of a natural reaction to price rising uh than to price falling when you're talking okay. about behavior um, so, you know, I, I think it's okay that, you know, we're in the 30,000s. I think it would be okay if we're in the 10,000s. I think it'll be okay if we're in the 80,000s. Um, I'm not really that concerned about, you know, the price of the next year or two. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more about, you know, I'm more concerned, is a Bitcoin going to be worth $50,000 and that's enough uh, to rent a, a San Francisco apartment for four months, you know? <laughs> uh, so th- that's really what I think the, the, the problem uh, for Bitcoin is, is when you start pricing it in U.S. dollars uh, that are devaluing themselves and Bitcoin isn't moving higher, um, that is a little bit of a red flag to me that we could be in right. some short-term pain. So do you, in the back of your mind, uh, have the assumption that long-term it'll, it, it hasn't peaked yet? Yes, absolutely. I, I, okay. I, you know, I could see... Um, and Gareth, I think, feels the same, the same way generally. Is that where you stand, Gareth? I, I know we've kind of talked long, long-term yeah, you yeah. Kind of that I, assumption mean, too? I think it's going sub 20,000. I don't know where the low will be specifically. I mean, 80% drawdowns, what historically it's seen. So that would put it around 10,000. But but I do think longer term, 500,000 or more. I mean, again, you need some regulation in the, in the in, even though regulation is such a scary thing for people when it comes to cryptocurrency, if you want it to be invested in by, you know, older people, pension funds, all these other things, you need some sort of basis for people to feel more feel more confident right so the longer term is hugely bullish i just think again you're at the dot com if this is the dot com we're going to look back mm-hmm. in five years and yep. they remember the dot com era for mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies you got to see this washout and remember amazon was a 110 dollars stock in early 2000 it went to six dollars cool. when the dot com bubble collapsed and now it's at 3400 <laughs> right so think about yeah. the multiple if you bought it at, th- at six or ten or twenty dollars where you are now that's kind of my base case long-term view for bitcoin of where it probably goes. Mm. There are a few things I'm thinking about more right now than the fact that Amazon did that during dot com because uh, my view is that is the best uh, analog for what we're going through right now. And really, people don't realize the declines that I think some of these tech companies could go through and still be. People keep saying, oh, well, you know, Tesla's down this percent or this stock is down this percent. 
it's an obvious buy because it's the future. Like that's not a bull case when a bubble is imploding. You could be the best futuristic stock in the world and still lose 70%. The catch yeah. is for me, I don't make the same leap of faith with BTC as you guys do because it doesn't have the same properties as those stocks. It doesn't have the cash flow. It basically has the free money supply on the market of people willing to take a risk on a high risk asset. That's the way I viewed it. So for me, Bitcoin has peaked. Bitcoin, unless there is a unseen circumstance that creates a, another big year over year change in um, you know, M2 or whatever money supply measure somebody wants to use, then I think it's basic toast. Um, and, and that's where I think from a price versus fundamental standpoint, the situation right now is really important to nail down. And the question for Bitcoin believers still is, can this operate the way you hope it will, the way it could, Andy, as a censorship-free asset if it exists at like a $10,000 plateau price target that the market has just decided that's the equilibrium for the number of people who need censorship-free uh, asset like is that a, a, something that appeals to you and do you see that as a probability in the future is that possible yeah i i, I have no idea what the equilibrium price is but i do think that that but is... if that like turns out to be the only use case if like digital gold this is the one thing it does yeah then I, that that's fine you know i think there's other ways to do that there's i don't think that you can really get to the point where you say this is a censorship free um asset and quasi-currency and and also say that that's the only thing it does like i that doesn't work for me i think that it has to have um underlying um you know hedge type of value if that's the case mm. because to have portfolio impact is what you're saying yeah it it has to otherwise it's just kind of nothing i mean i can um. i can do i can do transactions using paper bills and stay under the radar um, you know, for I know most you of the things in my life. I believe you. <laughs> can and have. Can and have. Hey, I know uh, you, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Brewers, got a little history of uh, skirting the yeah. law sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, pro prohibition swan. That could be your next uh, your next Twitter handle. <laughs> um, all right, so Gareth, uh, how do we connect Bitcoin into the broader market? Um, right now, it looks to me, and I've kind of adapted my Bitcoin chart according to you. Uh, because uh, generally, I kind of had a more horizontal line uh, for Bitcoin around 30,000. But now I see that from the December gap up in 2020, uh, you need to make that an upward sloping line to reflect the higher lows in the summer last year and then this most recent higher low, too. And that's really important because that upward slope basically signifies the entire COVID Bitcoin regime that's been so good to it. Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, in terms of charts, that's exactly what I'm watching. You know, you connect the April high to the November high. That's an exactly 100% parallel line with the lows that were in June, July of 2021, and then the lows that we just hit in January. So so that's your range. Um, basically, if you break that upsloping underbelly trend line, that's where the big drop comes in. That probably takes us down to about 20,000 with a couple bounces along the way. But but again, that's that's really what I'm watching. I mean, until that breaks, you could make a case that Bitcoin could chop sideways, maybe even make a move up maybe back to 50,000 but ultimately yeah I think if that breaks and I do expect it to break down the line then you have that next big leg down okay so it has to take a few steps because earlier you said sub 20k and even I like king bitcoin bear people like to say uh you know I don't even see the 20k first but you kind of see that as a foregone conclusion at this point but we got to get through 30 yeah, 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 no doubt about it. the 30 to 33,000 is the major, major level, right? I mean, that that has a huge trend line of support. But I think that you right now, you know, and this is what charts do, they kind of chop sideways for a while, which lets the bulls kind of come out of their caves and kind of start to get a little bullish, they start nibbling, they nibble. And then once you break that trend line, that creates that sentiment shift of selling pressure coming in. everyone's like, oh, crap, this is breaking. All right, now it's going to break. I, my thesis was wrong about buying. And you get that negative sentiment to come out. And, you know, again, I look at it like this, right? In, in 2000, and 17 when it peaked you know i still remember afterwards i think it was in 2000 late 2018 or mid 2018 where cnbc took the bitcoin ticker off their screen totally and it, was like, <laughs> it was like it was like persona non grata you couldn't even mention yeah. it and, and the amazing thing is that was the low like if you bought there that was like at 100 percent. of course it was yeah. of course today so, so, Kramer I mean, locked off air <laughs> maybe that's yeah, and you still haven't right and you still haven't even come close to seeing that sort of pessimism out there um anything like that so again to me it's just a matter of, like i mean i'm not even bringing up all the 
meme coins. And I mean, there's like 15,000 cryptos out there. Do we really believe right. these all have a use case or do we need to see these all flush out and like leave maybe the top 10, you know, cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. to kind of do their thing? So, so again, to me, to me, I'm still thinking quite a bit of downside. I mean, if you think about it, the NASDAQ has pulled back, what, 15% from the high and Bitcoin's dropped 50%. So if the NASDAQ has another 15%, you could easily see another 50% drop mm. in Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, that's pretty huge. Uh, Andy, do you think there is a level at which coin, uh, if, if it declines, because here's the thing, okay, and I'll preface this with some of the studies that I've done, is that the two tops this year are unlike any tops in Bitcoin. Uh, the first one in April was that rising wedge where the momentum was slowing as it was going up the hill. It was the Sisyphean pushing the rock up the hill, except in this case, it just broke. And when it did, it had never done that before because it usually went straight up exponential and it brought it back down like in 2017. 2017 was the norm. Bitcoin hasn't had a typical high like that since then. The whole history of Bitcoin was exponential blow-ups, mountains, and then huge crashes. But then the rolling one in uh, April was particularly unique, never happened before. And then this last one was the first time Bitcoin had a fake out. Uh, did you notice that, Garrett? For Bitcoin, usually when you cross over a new high, boom, it explodes. That to me is yeah. huge in this one. It's never had a fake out before, which is um, which is the second thing. So um, is, there a, is there any event, uh, Andy, that um, from, uh, again, I kind of describe it as the philosophical standpoint, uh, will be overwhelmed by price action is there like a breaking point, a level or an event, like, a, I don't know, a downtrend or something? Is there a, something like that that you think will be the levy uh, that could break? You know, I, I, I honestly don't have any idea. I, I don't think, you know, you guys are so good at thinking about price levels and, and the technical sure. things. And I, I try to focus a lot more on uh, underlying fundamentals, consumer adoption, all of those very, very bullish. Uh, you know, when we look at like fuller data, consumer uh, interest in cryptocurrency has never been higher. Uh, mm. Consumer interest in Bitcoin has never been higher. Um, so I think that there is an underpinning of demand. And the other thing that, you know, from a from a bull case, I think that Bitcoin has going for it right now is it actually takes people a little bit of time to figure out how to get into it. So there's this like bubbling up of consumer demand, especially in the U.S., where people have uh, significant savings, significant portfolio exposure that they could put into this. But there's a learning curve to getting into it that actually delays that action. And, um, you know, for me, that's that's part of the bull case is that there's pent up demand uh, for cryptocurrency that could send uh, this higher. Or, you know, the other thing I could say, Oliver, you know, what, what we could be doing right now is kind of establishing that equilibrium price that you talk about. Maybe that equilibrium mm. price is a range between 35000 and 60000 And that's mm. going to be the way it is for a while, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it just tightens from here for a while. We don't know, but um, I will tell you, you know, from uh, like folder day perspective and just, you know, conversations that I have, um, you, you know, with people that, uh, that that are getting interested in this, the questions of how to do it are still there. Um, and so I think that the pent up factor is real and, yeah. uh, I, you know, we'll put some floor uh, under Bitcoin for as long as it can hold, you know, and, and not turn into a, a headline disaster uh, like yeah. we have with .com. Yeah, I think that is trend, right? Bitcoin has had dips, but it's never had trend lower from a meaningful yeah. standpoint. I mean, this is all—it all really comes down to charts. Um, so, Gareth, do you are you of the belief that if Bitcoin does what it does, if you have your Bitcoin view that uh, 20k is a likely scenario, at least um, a retest of 30, does that necessitate being bearish equities at this point too? Yeah, I think it does. And again, obviously, we'll have plenty of bounces along the way. But but you have to think that the Fed has now just gave us the playbook going forward. High inflation means they have to pull back on the amount of money printing, which is, you know, pulling money out of the stock market at the tech stock PEs are coming in. And then it also affects uh, Bitcoin. So the thing that would change my view of 20,000 or sub 20,000 would be if all of a sudden the Fed said, hey, listen, we're going to go back to money printing. Well, then game right. on. You know, then it's Me like, too. all right, off yeah. to the races for tech and for Bitcoin. Shock but, stimulus is the yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. For, but for as long as that doesn't happen it's hard to imagine how that how that would change yeah uh andy do you see that connection do you see uh the connection that is between stocks and bitcoin in the market do you see that in the data where people turn uh positive or negative sentiment wise at the same time or is one more steady uh do the dip buyers and uh reddit uh you know yoloers have the same amount of confidence in everything no, I think there's clearly a connection. There, you, you nailed the connection earlier. It's, it's you know tolerance for risk. 
Um, mm-hmm. And the tolerance for risk owning Bitcoin is extremely similar to the tolerance for risk for owning Tesla. Um, you know, absolutely. I think that continues. Um, you know, risk is kind of out of favor right now at the moment. I think these things can change really, really quickly, especially when um, when when that's uh, driven by global uh, turmoil, you know, and, and, and kind of war game stuff. Uh, so I'm not convinced that risk is permanently off for any amount of time or that it's necessarily driven uh, by Fed behavior as much as it is geopolitical behavior. And a lot of times that can, if that comes off quickly. Sure, that's uh, a good point. I, I think see uh, a significant, because we've kind of all, we've kind of all digested what the Fed's going to do. Uh, what we right. haven't digested is what Putin, Biden, and, you know, Ukraine are going to do. Well, and... I would, I would dispute a little bit. The, well, not, I don't want to dispute the Fed sign, but the question I have right now is, can you really price in the Fed? Like, is it like a news story or, I mean, it's actually going to suck liquidity out. And we haven't even started the hikes yet. <laughs> Does it matter how much you talk about hikes? I mean, the hikes still go in actively and basically take money out. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, markets are forward-looking, and there's a reason why we started down this path, um, you know, more than a month ago. It wasn't because of Ukraine. It wasn't because of any of that stuff. It was because of fear of, of um, you know, the Fed stepping in. So I think, you know, you're right. You know, money comes out of the system. It's going to be a problem, but uh, a problem for asset prices, especially risky asset prices. But, yeah, uh, I, you know, I do think that um, from a fundamental standpoint, uh, you know, I'll just keep coming back to the, that on this call. I'll be kind of the lone voice on this is that um, you know the consumer, uh, the American public, the global public is very much interested in uh, these technologies and what these uh, whether it's tech stocks or Bitcoin and mm-hmm. what they're doing and what the value can be you know provided to their life, the wealth that can be created for them. For sure, and that doesn't change based on what Putin or Powell do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where that's where I think that uh, there's two there's two interesting things there. Um, I think one that I would say is where again to reference Amazon.com, right? You have more confidence to be able to step in on a severe decline in you know a stock like Tesla or something because you're counting on the profit it's going to make later on. And uh, for BTC crypto is um, if it's a you know risk taking appetite, then man, how when are we going to get more risk appetite than we did over the last? Uh, two years. Um, but Gareth, from the fundamental standpoint, as a technician guy, how much do you think about the Fed and how much do you think about that question of not we can price in Fed hikes? Like, can we talk about it enough to be ready for it? Or if the actual economic impact, like, do you think about that stuff or are you just going to let the lines on the screen tell you? In general, as a swing trader, and that's mostly what I do, I do want to just focus on the charts because when you look too far ahead, it's, it sometimes can be irrelevant or change your view on the, the current move. And if I'm just in a stock for, let's say, a week or two, it, it's, it's somewhat irrelevant in that sense. Now, the one thing I think is really important for investors to realize is that the market absolutely prices in rate hikes, right? So we now have JP Morgan, I think, saying it might be nine rate hikes this year. So the market is pricing that in. That's not my fear for the markets. My my case is that the Fed is going to, just like they overreacted and stimulated for too long, they're going to overreact and raise interest rates too fast, which is then going to slow the economy and push us toward the recession. And you might say, mm-hmm. okay, well, recession, can they come out and print more money then and just get us out? Well, it's really hard to print when you already have inflation at 8 or 9%. I mean, even right. if it's at 5%, can they stimulate us out of the next recession? And that's my case for why I think stocks can go into a prolonged bear market is because if we do go into a recession, how are we getting out of it? You know, how are these companies going to see the sales that they did during the print-happy periods when, again, the Fed doesn't have that ability to generate so much growth from printing? Perennial optimist Andy Swan is like, the hell bear den that I walk into today? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> hey, um, you know what? I'm, I, I'm used to, you know, when, when people look at charts, I get it. I, when I look at, every time I look at a chart, almost, almost every time, uh, it, my psychology goes to bearish. I think about how the price could go back uh, to where it once <laughs> was. I mean, it, you know, right. it's really hard um, to make a technical case for Tesla going from you know, sixty dollars to twelve hundred dollars, right? Sure, uh, sure. Th- these are always mm-hmm. fundamental questions. Um, but um, you know, I, I, comp- it's really the difference between time frame. Um, you know, what yeah. you guys talk about is is a shorter time frame than what I talk about. Um, yeah. And and I try. That's such a big deal. That's a, 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 it's, a, a probably one of the most important clarifications one can make as a financial journalist when talking with people about these things. Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I and and by the way, I agree. You know, I think that. Uh, for the near term, um, risk is probably um, to the downside. At least people should be prepared for that. And 
and hopefully have been because a lot of it's already happened, uh, especially to some of the the, um, the names we like long term. Um, a, a lot of it's happened, and you you know you are, you've already seen uh, the damage that that can do. So um, mm. I, I do think it's a time frame question. You know, we can agree a lot of ways about the fundamentals. We can agree a lot of ways about the technicals. Um, but I, I, it's good for investors to hear both because in all of these risky assets, whether you're talking about Bitcoin, high tech stocks, that sort of thing, understanding the underlying or potential volatility is a enormous deal that a lot of oh, people yeah. really, really miss. I mean, pros. They, they don't pros understand. Yeah, they don't understand that when you put a dollar into Tesla, that's not the same as putting a dollar into the S&P 500 at all. You, you know, you're putting 80 cents on the line in terms of potential loss with Tesla, whereas with S&P 500, it's maybe more like 30 cents or, yeah, or yeah. less. And so that difference is enormous. 90% of investors and probably 40% of professionals don't understand yeah. that difference. The um, professional and- side, I saw it with, with not to, because uh, I want to uh, not spend the whole time talking about Bitcoin, but it's another uh, Bitcoin uh, big theme over the last year was I saw all of the guests, not all, but a lot of the guests on my shows and people that I've talked to for years in markets, financial advisors, investors, institutional suit and tie guys, you know, that do the interviews and stuff. But so many started to make the case for BTC. And, uh, you know, a lot of them argued, oh, it's a portfolio diversifier, this, that, it's going to be inflation hedge, yada, yada. I mean, look, they just couldn't be behind anymore. <laughs> they had to, to get in. And so and by the time everybody figured out, you know, what this thing responds to and the COVID money, all that stimulus hit, yeah, you'd be crazy if your job was to try and beat the market and you didn't pepper in a little uh, Bitcoin. But now the case for that, uh, that many uh, argued was going to be portfolio diversification. I mean, it's just, it's been higher risk. So even the professionals um, uh, really uh, did not appreciate the underlying volatility. Um, so there's a really important point Garrett hit on about um, what could be a bullish catalyst. So that possibility, I call it shock stimulus, is like the biggest potential surprise right now. But the capacity for that is going to be low when inflation is high. And even the president's own party has defectors who are citing inflation as the reason to shoot down stimulus. So uh, that doesn't seem like we should count on it anytime soon. But maybe possibly there's like a world in which um, there could be a, a smaller targeted bill that's not like printed money. I mean, are you, Andy, just quickly, I mean, like, what's your read, uh, politics, Twitter, sir? Is there like possibility that Biden would surprise us with a big money check again? I, I don't think so, um, especially not in a It's like out of the question, right? It's like zero yeah. probability or what is it? Z- well, it's as close to zero as you'll ever get, you know, in politics <laughs> and in predicting. But I will say, you know, another potential significant catalyst um, could be uh, the midterm elections and the anticipation of those. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, I usually don't believe that, but uh, you know, it, it, the, the history does show that it, 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 it matters. Midterms do. Yeah. We, we like, um, we like a, a, um, we like a government that is kind of locked down and can't do anything. And so I think after a couple of years of either party having full control, if you get back to uh, deadlock, that can, mm. that can be very, very bullish for investors because it makes Boy. the pathway clear. Man, I have trouble with that right now, though, because if, if the baseline is no new stimulus and tightening, the, you got a little gridlock's going to be good this time. I mean, you're not even a fundamental guy necessarily, Gareth, and it sounds like that's part of your view that uh, uh, no new policy is not going to be great for markets. No, I mean, this market has been addicted to the printing and the government printing for so long that, I mean, if it if it really is coming to a halt, that's, there's got to be a whole new repricing on the stock market over the next couple of years. So so it's hard to imagine. I, I agree. I think I think in, weir- in a weird way, you know, when you have, you have lock, a locked, you know, Congress, meaning that no, neither side has the majority to do anything. I think that's actually a negative for the markets going forward. The markets just love that printing press. You know, they just they just want it nonstop, and and you can see the tech stocks just go nuts as soon as they get that vibe. And again, I just can't see that happening now going forward with inflation as high as it is. Yeah, I mean, the gridlock is good. I mean, I, I get kind of generally why it works. So maybe there's a perverse way we go about it, where is the the uh, the stock market drops enough to where Powell has to stop, and then. Uh, then, you know, the midterms lock it and then we're stuck with um, no new stimulus, but maybe no new hikes. I mean, a possibility, uh, uh, maybe, Andy, I mean, like, can the market, the market could certainly stop Powell. I and mean, I think that'll be what probably does stop him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what else would at this point. I mean, it's not like you're going to get 
inflation suddenly reversing. So if this is the regime, what looks good, Garrick? We talked about the risk of things going down. Give me a good chart. Make me feel good about something. All right. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to investors to realize, like Andy's long-term view, very, very accurate. I love it on Bitcoin. Totally. Right. In the I'm, I'm talking about a much shorter time frame on a lot of these yeah. things. But again, always... what, what are you talking like three to six? Are you talking like six months in your Bitcoin view? Yeah, I, I think, you know, looking at past cycles, I would expect Bitcoin to bottom later this year. And my guess is, just like you mentioned, it's going to be the catalyst will probably be the Fed, the economy getting hurt to the point where the Fed has to stop, you know, cutting back and raising rates. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably that could coincide with major pivot low on Bitcoin. But there's definitely okay, until then. out there. Oh, sorry, yeah, until what? then, what do you like? No, until then, yeah. what do you like? <laughs> yeah, so, so so for instance, I'm actually long a bunch of stocks right now. I'm long PayPal, I'm long Facebook. You know, there, there are stocks that have been punished in at least for short-term swing trades where I think that they are good for a bounce. They're coming into major technical levels. There's value there. I think Facebook, again, has gotten pummeled down. Like I think it's down close to 50% from its all-time highs just from last year. It's still a money-making cash cow, right? So again, there are levels there. In addition, I, I'm actually really starting to focus on the international names, right? So China stocks, uh, South American companies. The idea here is that if you look at fund managers, because of the Fed's leniency, they were very overweight U.S. equities, but very underweight global equities. So my guess is now that, that the Fed is becoming more harsh, you'll see money starting to rotate into Chinese stocks, into South American companies. So, so I've been positioning myself for the last few months in names like Alibaba and Baidu. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's risks there with, with the, you know, the, the Chinese government. But for me, at these valuations, it's worth a, worth a shot. Interesting. So you're going for, I mean, the chart of Facebook is, is absurd. $200. Yeah. It's below yeah. where it was Jan 20. I mean, uh, it's like uh, at this point, it just, I, I tweeted out the other day, Beyond Meat has to, has to be a buy. That was not the right hornet's nest to kick, uh, you know, but like there's stuff that's just gotten so obliterated, but it keeps going down. It is, yeah. is the downward movement eroding at sentiment, Andy, or does the sentiment turn more positive for these favorite companies like the deeper they go down are people getting buried trying to buy these dips or w when do they start turning positive what do you see in your data yeah no the, the funny thing is um you know just it, it's kind of an exercise in how wrong the uh, the investor can be so we see in, investor sentiment as one of the ultimate contrarian indicators uh, the more stocks go down the more bearish people get uh the the peaks of bearishness uh, tend to coincide with bottoms. The peaks of bullishness tend to coincide with tops. Uh, and so for some of these names uh, that have been extremely beaten down, um, you know, I would consider the extraordinary negative sentiment to be uh, bullish. And then when we combine that with how does the consumer feel, so not the investor, how does the consumer feel about this company's products? Is the world moving towards this? Is there a consumer macro trend moving towards this company's products? When you get both of those together, where investors hate the stock, but uh, consumers love the company and the products, those have historically been some of our you know, biggest winners, Tesla, Crocs, that sort of thing. And so mm -hmm. we're seeing some of those start to start to come about now. Yeah, what happened uh, to Crocs? How, how come it, it, it broke a year and a half long uptrend line? It, it, totally, too much uh, competition. You know, the, okay. the, the competition is unbelievable. They did just do an acquisition of Hey Dude Shoes, which I think is a really, really good acquisition. I'm starting to okay. kind of... Uh, What's the really, difference between those shoes? Uh, you know, I would say, uh, hey, dude, this is just a little more, um, eh, what, socially acceptable to wear? Uh, <laughs> around. <laughs> um, um, you know, but really good designs, uh, cool designs. And Crocs has this history of being able to, you know, partner with influencers and get distribution that, that a smaller company like Hey Dude couldn't have done. So it's a, it's a yeah. good acquisition. It makes me start thinking about... Didn't they have about, a bad uh, bunny? Was that Crocs? They didn't have a partnership with bunny? They've done so many. It's you know, it's yeah, it's Bieber been, wasn't it, Bieber. We had a CFO yeah. on a CEO on a few times. It was incredible business. How do you yeah. know though, Andy, when it when it looks? I mean, from twenty from sorry, eight dollars a crop, and yep. to one hundred and eighty three. Oh, that's that's bananas. Bananas. So like, uh, how much does that have to you know mean revert to a reasonable uh, rate of change for uh, ultimately a retailer? Yeah, well, we, what we want to see, you know, for Crocs, why would I want to get back, um, you know, into Crocs? It, it's really about, you know, watching that consumer behavior. Um, and right now, that consumer behavior has really been spread thin, that that the trend is good for the company because everybody's going to comfortable shoes, uh, regenerative shoes that they can wear after work. But this, the amount of competition is through the roof between Skechers. Uh, you know, there's just mm. a ton of competition. So we want to see... Crocs start to regain mind share among consumers 
uh, not seeing that yet. So not uh, green light on that. But with a company like Roku, um, you know, we do see that, you know, absolutely destroyed by the stock market over the last uh, 18 months. But building a base of very, very happy uh, consumers and changing the way that people behave around their television set. And so long term, you look at a company like that where the stock is completely hated, but from a consumer perspective, they're doing everything right. That yeah, is the recipe, are. you know, for where I think, uh, you know, you, you've got significant opportunity in this market long term. Uh, I got and, my and, parents one and I'm a believer now. I was always a doubter of Roku. Uh, my friend told me early on, a tech guy, that it was all about their the, the software. And that was right. I mean, the devices, too. But the software, really, I mean, you know, I'm with you. I'm not a big, uh, you know, hey, my whole my shoes got got to be filled up. I can't have holes in my shoes. So uh, I'm not with you on Crocs, but I'm with you on Roku uh, as a product. I mean, it, hey, it, obviously, people love whatever product they love. The question is, how do we determine like one crash from another? What makes Facebook stand out to Gareth and, and not like a Roku? Or maybe Roku does. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think Roku is very interesting down here too. Um, I bought it when it was just, you know, around 105 the other day, but I already, I honestly already sold it to be fair, um, just because again, I'm in for these quick kind of pops off 10% or so. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Roku's interesting. I think Facebook, I mean, I'm looking for quality names that are trading at a discount. I think this is the same Andy, Andy's doing is you're looking for these longer term stories that have just been absolutely annihilated. Roku down from like 500 bucks to $100. I mean, that's incredible collapse. Same thing with Teladoc, you know, Teladoc trading at these levels down from 300 to 63 now you know if that does have some some you know potential there and i think i think i'm starting to kind of look take the view where you have a lot of these very impressive growth stories that are getting discounted and i'm starting to think about who's going to buy them right so like a teledoc we have we have amazon pharmacy or whatever they have i mean would they be a a, a potential acquisition or, or potential buyer for teledoc you know, Viacom, Viacom trading at, you know, a seven forward PE with a, you know, three and a half percent dividend. Maybe Netflix wants to get into with, with some sports, some live sports, you know, that's a really interesting acquisition opportunity. So, so I think you have to make sense about, you know, you have to kind of make that plan. And I'm sure Andy would agree that you have to go in with a plan. What is your thesis? Does it make sense? Does it stand the test of time? Are you buying something that has quality behind it? And then, yeah, I think you give it a shot when it's down, when some of these stocks are down 50, 60, 70%. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's incredible the magnitude we've come down in in these. Um, does Andy, do you look at Tesla? And I'd be curious to get uh, Gareth's thought on on Tesla too. Is uh do you get the sense that okay Tesla this is if these other stocks are down as much as they are right? If some of these companies we're talking about that seem like great companies are going to be around are down sixty to seventy percent, uh, and uh, Tesla is in a casual Tesla style correction. You know, I don't know if you even want to call it a technical bear market in Tesla. It does 20% uh, all the time in its history. Do you look at that chart of Tesla and say, okay, it's down 30% off the highs. It needs to catch up downward. Or are we at the point where if a Facebook is um, as uh, obliterated as it is, does that mean the rest of the market? Like, you know, are we going to get a down draft that brings everything with it? Or can you actually get some of these companies to go different ways like do you look at the tesla chart and think it needs to rejoin lower andy or do you look at the other tech stocks and think they need to rejoin tesla only 30 percent off the highs yeah the, the second i mean i look at mm. i look at tesla and i think wow uh you know i mean the stock's gotten killed you know in terms of the normal investor sure uh, down 30 percent from the high yeah it's down 30 percent right so it's not great but i will say uh, the fact that it's only down 30 percent shows uh compared to other you know, high flying tech stock names shows relative strength. And there's a good reason for that. That's because the entire world is moving to electric vehicles and they are the dominant brand uh, and will be for quite some time. I can think, you even fit into a Tesla, Andy? Can you even, is there, do they make any model that you can fit into? Yeah. The one I drive every day, I fit into. You really do? Well. It's, yeah. It's really nice. I got the model X. It's amazing. Oh, nice. I would, yeah. I would never go back to, um, you know, a traditional car after driving. You're with for Tesla years. for life. I don't know that I'm with Tesla for life, but I'm, definitely into the you know the ev uh, wagon for life but i also understand people's argument you can't have if you tr- if you like to travel a lot you can't have just that at this point right the, mm-hmm. the, it doesn't work so you know we got the big yukon on one end and we've got the um, tesla model x on the other that i drive around but it's an am- incredible car like a totally different yeah. experience people that haven't driven one that are bearish on tesla it's just it's unbelievable to me that you wouldn't at least do the due diligence to get in one and see what it's like and see the difference. Um, but anyway, um, Man, you know, nice. I, I, uh, that's a good I, endorsement, Tesla. That you might have another. Uh, uh, you, you you could pump those bags if you needed to, Andy. That's a pretty good pitch. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're six nine, two eighty five, you know, you didn't you didn't necessarily think yeah, of I didn't, as an I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Speaking out of ignorance. <laughs> uh does the uh okay, so uh, Tesla more likely that we see uh, these big tech companies rejoin the Tesla, uh, you know, only 30% off the highs. Uh, the last point about this, though, is uh, are you surprised to see uh, either of you guys um, – I'll go in first, I guess, because we're talking about it. The crude oil is going berserk. It's going back to $100 if that was possible. Is that supposed to be bullish? Isn't that supposed to be bullish like Tesla and these companies? Uh, does that does that matter? Oh, yeah, it definitely matters. It, it definitely matters long term. When we look at like Volio data, one of the, the, the two largest drivers of adoption of electric vehicles uh, are first and foremost, um, the performance of the vehicle. So Tesla's really set the standard there, the, you know, the zero to 60 times, the, uh, you know, the over the air updates, all that type of stuff. But the second and climbing is the price of gas and that and that yeah. comparison that people are making. And so I do think, again, we're talking about just a complete disconnect because just like Bitcoin, and now this is going to sound like a really stupid analogy, but just like Bitcoin, Tesla has a lot of the same attributes in that. For sure, the, yeah, yeah. The, cons- the consumer, well, not even. Hell, it owns, but, but it's on its damn balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm saying from a from a consumer perspective, the demand is growing under the under the radar beyond what you see in the sales figures or in the purchase figures of Teslas or Bitcoins because there is this learning curve to getting into a Tesla. You will hear people ask 10 people about what it's like to own a Tesla. How do you charge it? What am I going to do? How am I going to set this up for yeah. a year or two years before they ever buy one? And right. all of that demand is building. The learning curve is still pretty long. So just like Bitcoin, sure. there's this pent up demand uh, for these cars and these coins that uh, you know could put a floor under uh, both of these assets. Yeah, I, I like I love you, Andy, because you don't fit into any box. You're an eclectic guy. I want to end on some charts. Is there a better chart, a uh, more reliable one than crude oil right now, Gareth? Uh, I mean, it seems like there was a little, ironically, with the whole Russia thing, we got a little chop and a tiny bit of weakness. Has anything broken in that otherwise very reliable chart? Yeah, so this is going to be kind of a, an interesting one, but I, I'm going to go out on the limb and say that oil is actually topping here, right? So mm-hmm. so I have multiple trend lines. If you, if you connect, I have about five trend lines that if you connect even you know from 2021 highs, it all intersects right here. You can go back years, and all these trend lines are intersecting right around this current top. And just like Bitcoin topped when the futures ETF launched, I mean, you know, the historically, oil tends to top on these kind of geopolitical crazy situations because buyers just rush in thinking, it's a no-brainer. It's going to keep going to 100. Analysts are continually upgrading. And then before you know it, it doesn't happen. The geopolitical situation quiets down, and oil will come back in sharply. So I'm in the camp that oil actually is topping here. I think you've got to pull back into the $70 range coming in the next six months. Wow. Uh, that would be pretty amazing. I, 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 it's hard to know what impact that would have if that would be a relief valve for the inflation situation, or if that only happens if demand really falls off. I mean, it's possible that... Um, uh, I, you know, uh, there's some policy move or some uh, oil emergency supply decision. I mean, uh, who knows? Yeah, sorry, I was going to just jump in. And I think people need to kind of keep an eye on things like so. Number one, midterm elections are coming up. So historically, you've seen oil fall into big elections. Generally, the politicians want to get that mm-hmm. price down, make people feel better about voting for for a particular party. And then you also True. have scenarios where if the Fed is really tightening interest rates, it's going to have an impact on the economy. You know, even even with Omicron, you know, kind of in the in the rearview mirror, if they are tightening and the stock market's coming in, which is going to take away that wealth effect, you're going to have an economy that's slowing, which means the demand side actually could take a hit. So again, there's actually some interesting side notes on the fundamental side, why oil could actually be topping plus the technicals. Yeah, see, every fundamental guy's looking at charts. Every technician's got thoughts on the fundamentals. <laughs> the two <laughs> the two schools cannot uh, stray too far from one another. Uh, gold, uh, let me hit you on that one, Gareth. Uh, does it look good? Is this uh, the real deal, trying to be one of the few things that works when stocks are down? Yeah, so I, I've, I've gone out on a limb in December. I said that gold would be the best performer in 2020 compared oh, to stock market yep. and Bitcoin. And I'm still in that case. And granted, we're only nearing the end of February, but so far it is correct. But again, I, I'm a his, history buff. I love looking at the 70s. I look at the past period when inflation was where it currently is. And you literally have the 2018 to 2020 move up two years there. That matches 73 to 75. You then had consolidation for about two years, 75 to 77, which is now you know 2020 to 2022. And then 
then gold went on a beautiful rip higher from about $100 to $900 an ounce. Now, I don't think we're going to do that type of percentage, but I do think gold is an undervalued, underinvested asset at this point. And again, with Bitcoin's volatility the way it is and investors looking for cover from inflation, gold is the obvious place to go, right? I mean, if you're going to invest a hedge against inflation, Bitcoin's not great right now to do that with. Gold is still the king. Mm. Interesting. All right. Uh, so you like gold. You think this regime is going to continue for basically the year? Yeah. Yeah. I do think I do think gold easily takes out the 2020 high this year. Um, again, how much higher it goes after that? I've talked maybe as high as 2,500. That's that's a tricky one for sure to know. Hey, I'm with you. Um, my uh, coverage started turning bullish on gold uh, when we first put in that higher uh, low, and then it basically was going to have to pick a direction at some point. So as soon as it yep. beat its head above. It looked like it was going higher, but, but you see it's yeah. going 2020 highs. Wow, that'd be that'd be pretty amazing because um, that's um, that's the chart work there. I don't know where it goes once it breaks out. That would be pretty big. Uh, okay, so I have a question for Andy Swan then, a final question, Mr. Swan. Um, there's a guy who's been on my show a few times who's building a really interesting product that is gold on the blockchain. They hold the gold, and they're creating a value so that you can have access to gold um, digitally. Uh, so if gold rallies here, and you could have a digital version of it. Does that satisfy your needs? No, <laughs> I, mean, I I have no I have no interest in a digital version of gold unless it's the digital version of gold, which I think is Bitcoin. Uh, I think we've kind of already done that. I don't need someone to tell me that I've got uh, metal bars in a warehouse somewhere else that I can claim with my my token. I, that doesn't uh, that doesn't tickle my fancy at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was uh, thinking maybe uh, Mr. Swan and his Crocs in the uh, Tesla holding a couple bars of gold, uh, maybe the top down, <laughs> shades on. All right, I don't guys, mind, uh, yeah, I don't mind holding a couple <laughs> bars of gold, but if I'm going to yeah, do it, it's, yeah. it's going to be you know, in my physical possession. drop one at a blackjack table one time in Vegas, actually. I think you paid in a gold bar. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> that was supposed to stay in Vegas. Yeah, okay. Oops, sorry about that. All right, um, hey guys, this is a really fun conversation. Gareth, thank you guys both for being here. This was a really good time. Hope you guys have fun. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, hopefully we'll do it again soon. I really uh, enjoyed the format. Um, and uh, thanks, listeners, as well, for uh, tuning in, everybody. Hope you found some knowledge uh, from the conversation, uh, some uh, afternoon uh, stimulus. And uh, follow Gareth, Andy, if, um, or, or me. I'm sure you guys are uh, bringing a nice uh, a group of people here. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, yeah, thanks, Andy and Gareth. Yeah, Oliver, real me. quick, you know, you you could remind people, let's do a plug for TD, for the TD Ameritrade Network. You know, we're on there. That's true. We're on there, um, you know, like Folio bringing a dose of, of long-term optimism almost uh, every right. day around um, around 1215, 1230 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, it's one of, one of my favorites, a, a little less fluff and a little more uh, action. So um, I always love being on there that. and encourage people to tune in. I appreciate that, uh, Andy. Uh, thank you for being a, a contributor to uh, to our show. It's great data. I love the sentiment stuff. You guys had some really interesting uh, contributions, and were I mean, some of these things you guys just nailed. I didn't even believe you when you told me about the Croc stuff a couple of years ago, and you just totally, totally nailed it. Um, Gareth, it's been great having you as a contributor as well, and uh, uh, on the show. Looking forward to more, guys. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting year, so we'll do this again. Awesome, thanks. Thank All you right, so much, see you gentlemen. Thanks, everybody, Bye -bye. for tuning in. Bye. -bye.